The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, huge weekend in the Premier League. From Man City, everyone hates us, we don't care, to Everton, busting out of the bottom three with a goal so good it broke the English language. Huge weekend in the WSL, Chelsea champs in Sam Kerr's volley visualisation and the North London derby on the way, a duel featuring Gunners with Spurs on their heels. All that plus Rangers 2 in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener. Thank you for joining us on the Totally. It's Monday the 9th of May and hello today to Lindsay Hooper. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, James. Also with us, we've got to Charlie Eccleshare and Daniel Story. Hello, boys. Hello. Hello, James. Guarded, measured. Uh, well done. Uh, the two of you being tremendously professional. They're facing each other in the quiz quite literally as soon as we finish this this pod. How are you both feeling? Very, very nervous. Right. And what about the quiz, Charlie? <laughs> Have you both been swatting up for like extra revision? No, this is my worry. Football, isn't it? Yeah, but also <laughs> I, I I saw Daniel whenever it was last weekend, and he was telling me he had a free weekend this weekend, and that's just that's got in my head. I'm, I'm, I just know he's been at home just swatting up all weekend. So I really didn't. Have yeah, it's a bit it's a bit Sebco Steve Ovet on Christmas Day, <laughs> but unlike those two, I didn't actually get off my ass and do anything. So we'll right, I, I I'd forgotten the story about. I'm guessing it was Seb Coe who went out on Christmas Day. Is that right, Charlie? What, what was the... I think, and it may be apocryphal, one of them got... It was Christmas Day and one of them got itchy feet and thought, oh, I, I bet the other one's training even though it's Christmas Day. And then supposedly the other one had the same thought of, oh, I bet the other one's training and they both ended up training on Christmas Day. Daley Thompson used to say that as well, didn't he? He said... I, I train on Christmas Day, but then I realise that some of my competitors might also train on Christmas Day, so I train twice on Christmas Day, <laughs> which the fairly unending. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to the, the world of the elite athlete, and more of that to come in the final, which, as I say, we'll be recording straight after this podcast, but holding it back until Thursday, for reasons I'll go into very, very shortly. And meantime, in the other high-profile duel for a title, etc., uh, City now look set to be Premier League champions for the fourth time in five seasons after they whomped Newcastle 5-0 and Liverpool were held to a 1-1 draw by Spurs in front of Charlie Eccleshow. Spurs, meanwhile, losing ground on Arsenal. The Gunners beating Leeds 2-1 on Sunday. However, the two rivals for fourth place will be meeting in the North London derby this Thursday. Crikey. Uh, So a nation in mourning because, to paraphrase Pep, everyone hates City and loves Liverpool. Charlie, you were there at Anfield. Uh, Spurs unbeaten in four games against Man City and Liverpool now this season. How? Yeah, eight points they've taken off them, which I think is four more than anyone else has managed. Um, It it does play into kind of the best of this Conte team that when teams attack them, they much prefer that. And and that they're well organised defensively. That back three is really, really strong. And obviously in these games, it becomes almost a back five. Uh, with the wing backs, and they know exactly what they're all doing defensively. And then they've got Kane and Son on the break. They've added Kudasevsky as well, who gives them another threat. So they always 
they always keep you honest. And, and what City and Liverpool do is they basically give you half the pitch on the understanding that you're never going to get the ball. And even if you do, they're probably going to have, you know, they'll have a Kyle Walker or a Van Dyke or someone who can sort of mop things up even on the very few occasions you do get in behind. Or they have Fabinho and Rodri and they'll just foul you anyway and seemingly get away with it. So it te- that tends to work. But Spurs are very, very good at kind of getting Kane into space where he can find Son running in behind. Son scored a lot of goals against Liverpool and City. And and this always felt like a game... I know I know from beforehand, speaking to Liverpool fans and people who cover the club, that this was the one they looked at and thought, oh, I don't have a good feeling about this one. I mean, they drew the game back in December. Obviously, Spurs did the double over City. And it played out again. I thought Spurs played really well, created chances, always carried a threat. And actually, Liverpool were reduced largely in the second half to putting fairly hopeful crosses in. How impressed was Jurgen Klopp with Spurs' <laughs> remarkable defensive organisation, Charlie? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I asked him this, and it, it really wasn't one where you're thinking like, ah, this will, this will wind up. You know, sometimes you do ask questions, you know, bracing yourself uh, for a bit of a backlash. But yeah, I just asked him, you know, you must have been pretty impressed with the way Spurs defended, given how few chances your team created. And he went off on one, really, saying... I'm the wrong person for this. I don't find this sort of thing impressive. Um, th- you know, there was a bit of a look. I'm not criticising it. I just couldn't do it. You know, I, I personally, I couldn't coach the team to be so defensive. They've got world-class players. It was mm. a bit like when he said about Simeone's Atletico when they knocked Liverpool out of the Champions League in 2020. Like, you know, I just don't know why they play this way. Um, yeah, they- it felt a little sour. And Klopp is not a good loser or drawer in this case. Uh, you know, it's very easy to be avuncular and charming when you're winning every week. But... I mean, he seems to be suggesting Spurs should have just rolled over or gone gung-ho and played right into his team's hands. Um, and it was just really unfair because I think Spurs... It wasn't like Spurs parked the bus. They obviously were well-organised, but they probably carried as big, if not more, of a threat uh, on the counter as Liverpool did. Wasn't this a fixture, Charlie, that already played into Jurgen Klopp's hands? I mean, I'd never before seen a 7.45 on a Saturday. Mm. Didn't the TV gods make this happen for him so the players could have a, a little bit longer rest? Yeah, I mean, having had the 12.30 the week before, it gave them much more of a rest. The the sense as well I, was that it would be a kind of raucous Anfield evening under the lights as opposed to the risk that you have with the 12.30 that it can be a bit flat. So, yeah, it was all set up for them. That said, I do think, you know, we do need to appreciate they have played an unbelievable amount of football mm. recently. And mm. I think even... It always felt like there was a point at some point, even this great Liverpool team were going to feel that. And I think they did They did just look a bit leggy. But, you know, credit to Spurs for taking advantage of that. Right. Did Jürgen have anything to say about why Fabinho wasn't sent off for elbowing lovely <laughs> Sun Young Min in the face? That actually didn't come up, oddly enough. Did it not? Um, I mean, the, the ability of, you know, Fabinho, it's, you know, the, the great heir to Fernandinho, the, the king of getting away with tactical fouls. I mean, Fabinho and Rodri are competing for that I mean it was it was unbelievable that he wasn't on a booking to be able to make that foul and he took full advantage with what could have been a red I mean you know he flies in with his elbow it was it was almost like he was daring Michael Oliver it was like what do out of curiosity what do I need to do to get booked should I chuck an elbow as well just just to see if that does it and uh yeah finally finally that did but yeah I mean they they Mm did probably get away with that one because it also meant they could he had he was able to stop a counter right right at the very end son who'd already opened the scoring in this game with his 20th premier league goal of the season that's his best ever return what what, what a player 12 with his left foot as well wow it's extraordinary mm.
All right, Lewis Tears also scoring on a day which saw him pick up a title winner's medal with Porto, who are the Liga Nosh uh, champions. Well, there you go then. So a tremendous organisation. Unfortunately, there's no law against that yet in football, so Liverpool just have to accept the point. Uh, but will it be will it be enough? Because the next day, Man City putting five goals past Newcastle. So a strong weekend for whinging managers, uh, Daniel, because uh, Pep was having a grumble after this about how nobody likes him and his team. It's very um, managerial motivation 101, I thought, from Pep Guardiola. He's, he's normally a very... Um, he sort of tries to be studious with his kind of estimation of what people are thinking. And he does occasionally drop in this, you know, people don't like us, which, I mean, there's an element of truth in that, I'm sure. Um, but to, to claim that the media is, uh, you know, and he, he mentioned the media deliberately, is fully behind Liverpool, suggests he hasn't necessarily talked to the same people that I've spoken to or everybody in the media. It just seemed very transparent to say, Look, we had a bad result in the week. We needed to get over that. We have got over that now. I need a very easy motivational tool for my players. I'll tell them that nobody wants them to win the title. That will probably re-energise them. I don't think Man City players need that, but I suspect that's what he was doing. Mm. Impressive performance after their midweek disappointment. It was so good, wasn't it, this? Just seeing the reaction. But the fifth goal. I'm just. I'm gonna, I'm going to go to the fifth goal because if you can do that 90-plus minutes then this is where City are at right now. They're clearly very motivated. I did wonder whether it might knock them a bit um, with the, the Champions League disappointment. But boy, I think that's the best goal that I've seen from them in a while, like in Ooh. terms of a team goal. Um, Phil Describe Foden. it for us, Lindsay. So Phil Foden um, is going forward and then Jack Grealish is on the overlap and he decides because there's a, a defender there in the way that he'd do this audacious sort of back flick that would put the ball into his path. And then he picks out Sterling, who, who's unmarked and able to just bury the shot. It, it just had that lovely flow to it. It was a beautifully built-up goal um, from Manchester City. And to do that when you're already 4-0 up, I think spoke volumes. Sorry, mm. I don't know what's going on with my voice this morning. <coughs> I, I do, you're hungover. I, it's, it is, it's alcohol voice, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Crikey, oh my gosh. What have you been up to? <laughs> Have you been out? I, w- I was out. I was out for quite a long time after the Chelsea women's victory yesterday. Oh, right. uh, Chelsea over Man United, and then they won their third league title in a row. We'll, we'll be um, about that yeah. shortly, yeah. yeah. No, so that goal, I mean, as you say, tremendous. Also, all England players. So, you know, will we be seeing similar scenes in Qatar? I do think that um, this idea of the hangover... Um, post-Champions League, <laughs> n- not yours, Lindsay. Um, I think it was a real thing. I think it was a fair, um, you know, a fair worry. But what Liverpool's result did on Saturday, not only in kind of hampering them a little bit, but clearly it, it, it removed all those doubts from Manchester City because they then go into a game thinking, well, they've done our job for us in that regard. And I actually suspect that's why Klopp was so annoyed that his team couldn't break down Tottenham better because... He knows how important that that, that that was the one game this season that was almost kind of Liverpool actually had the advantage because City mm. would have been more tired than them. They would have been down on their haunches a little bit. They do have injuries now. And he kind of lost, he let all that slip in, in the space of that 90 minutes. Mm. I have to say though, I mean, I guess we'll never know, but I, I personally was always sceptical about how much City would be affected just because their, their ability during run-ins to just seemingly compartmentalise everything, all the pressure and everything. 
they're like someone who you know those people who just don't seem to be affected by things you're like how are you not more stressed or emotional about this they just seem to get on with it and win i mean they've won basically every game in this run-in and i know apart from they drew with palace didn't they and in the last one, in 2018-19, when the pressure was on, they won every game. I mean, it's just incredible. And, and also the difference, I guess, because the reputation of Pep City in Europe is that they get frazzled and do wacky things and somehow beat themselves. Yet in the Premier League, they have this laser focus that just seems to cut teams apart. But that said, I mean, it's still incredibly impressive to do it, even if we're familiar with it by now. Mm. Was this Grealish's best performance in a City shirt, do we think? I, I I watched the game and I, I still can't quite work out what he's for in that he hasn't started some of the biggest games. He was really good for the last half hour against Newcastle, no doubt. Mm. But then they were already 3-0 up by then. So it's kind of, so are you using him as a, a flat track bully against bottom half sides? I guess not. Otherwise, you wouldn't spend £100 million on him. I guess the form of Bernardo Silva has slightly surprised everyone at Manchester City this season and therefore um, has made that selection of Grealish harder. But I just still can't quite work out... He's a brilliant footballer, but I just can't work out the difference he makes in that team yet. Mm. I'll be trying to fit into the same side as Erling Haaland come next season, uh, according to David Ornstein, who reckons that's now a done deal, by the way, that story up in uh, The Athletic uh, this Monday. On Grealish, it was impressive, given that he was a bit of a fool guy for what happened in midweek... Uh, you know, with those missed chances, which I think is harsh because, you know, he, he largely made them. But the fact that he started and played really well and didn't seem to be too negatively affected because um, mm. I did worry that might because that, that had the feel and probably still will to a large extent define his debut season, which for a £100 million player is is, is not ideal. No. A quick word on, on Newcastle, uh, Lindsay, who after that run of four straight wins when they look kind of ready to take on the world and now lost two both Liverpool and Man City. And I mean, the, the gulf between them illustrated by the opening seven minutes of the of the second half when the percentage stats read uh, City 99, Newcastle 1. <laughs> Have we ever had a 100%? Mm. Maybe this I, I is actually think it was 100%. Won. I think it was, because there, there was a stat that <laughs> came up... 1% margin said, for error. Well, it said there's a stat that then came up saying completed passes 108 versus 0. Now, I'm no mathematician, but I struggle to see how you get 1% from no completed passes. But Did they kick off? I don't think they did, no. No? All right. Well, anyway, sorry, Lindsay. Unfortunately, I think that this result plays into the theory that I have around Eddie Howe going forward with Newcastle. I mean, there's no doubt that he has done wonders there since coming in. But in terms of turning this club into a top-four contender... To be up there with Manchester City, with Liverpool, with Chelsea, let's say. Let's say that they're trying for next season to get that fourth spot. This is where they come undone. You know, this is his record against Man City just shows it. You know, you look at the the record against top teams. He's lost all 12 Premier League meetings with Man City. Um, and he's been beaten, of course, 4-0, 5-0 this season alone. So, you know, 9-0 on aggregate if we put that score together. That is the difference between a Newcastle side that can compete and a Newcastle side that are probably still going to be somewhere between 7th and 10th. Mm. Well, although, you know, Newcastle fans will say, 
let's be realistic, it was only a couple of months ago you were all tipping us to go down. So the fact that we're well clear of that and we just haven't managed to beat one of the most expensively assembled sites in the history. We're bracing ourselves though, James, aren't we, for a summer transfer window. The coffers Mm. are going to come out. There's going to be a lot of spending, lots of marquee signings. Remember as well that the signings that Eddie Howe made in January were for the purpose of getting Newcastle out of trouble. And then the purpose this time in the summer will be to get them as high up the table as possible. So it's going to be interesting to see who comes in. That may not count against Eddie Howe too much because the team currently in fourth, Arsenal, have lost on aggregate 7-1 to City this season and 6-0 to Liverpool. So Mm. Newcastle wouldn't be alone in getting battered routinely by those two teams. Mm. Fair point. Well then, uh, so is that it for the title? Three points clear with three games to go. They've won the last four, Man City. The run-in looks like this for them. A Wolves and West Ham away, then Villa at home. While Liverpool on Tuesday will be at Aston Villa. Hashtag narrative. Then at Saints, then home to Wolves. Anyone care to suggest it's not City's title? Well, it's, it's not over yet. It really isn't. West Ham still have... A huge amount to play for, given Manchester United's result and their own result this weekend. That will not be an easy game. But the fact that they can now draw a game and, and have it in their own hands is clearly is clearly huge. I thought Martin Tyler was probably going a, a little bit overboard with the goal difference chat on Sunday because if City do lose a game, then I think Liverpool will be able to make up that goal difference. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's over yet. I still think there's one more twist. Hmm. He says what? before Manchester City relentlessly yeah. dominate three more teams. <laughs> well, the teams. twist might, might come for Liverpool at Aston Villa, a, a, a fixture which Villa won 7-2 last season, albeit in different yeah. circumstances. I'm lucky enough to be going to, to that uh, on Tuesday night and Tottenham Arsenal on Thursday, which I'm sure Charlie is as well. So I love this time of the season, particularly because we've had those postponed games where it feels like games that really mean something sort of catch you off guard you're like oh yeah there's a Tuesday night mm. and a Wednesday night and a Thursday night game this week right and Wednesday sees Man City at Wolves yeah I'm at that one yeah Connor Cody might get another goal he could be our top scorer this season <laughs> they all have so few um I mean it was quite the turnaround I have to say that the three games prior to that Wolves were woeful um, there have been rumours as well of, of upset in the camp um apparently a falling out between Bruno Large and Jimenez and Johnny. Um, I don't know how much truth there was in those rumours. And I also, I quash those a little bit as well, because let's face it, you know, there's fallings out in training grounds every single week, aren't there? Every single day. There's just a few that we get to hear about. But um, I try and, and take a little notice of those, to be honest. But I think it would be really damaging right now for Wolves to finish the season on a petering out. Um, I think this Chelsea result hopefully has galvanised somewhat and it, they can actually really take it to Manchester City because prior to that result at Stamford Bridge, I thought it was going to be embarrassing with Man City coming to, to Molyneux. I really did. Um, but hopefully it won't be as clear cut as I thought it was. Right. She said hating Man City like everybody else in the media. Mm-hmm. Just, just on right. Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday, all right. Well, that's coming up on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, it is Spurs hosting Arsenal. Four points between the two of them now. Arsenal themselves only one point behind Chelsea after that 2-2 with Wolves. Uh, let's get on to the situation with with the Gunners and the North London derby next.
Well, the Gunners picked up three huge points against Leeds last Sunday and are now well in the driving seat for a top four finish and Champions League football next season. Hell, they might even catch Tuchel stuttering Chelsea for third, as there's only a point between them now with three games remaining. This Thursday throws up a mouth-watering prospect as Spurs, who lie four points behind Arsenal, play host to their North London rivals in what could be the spiciest meatball of a derby between these two in a long, long time. Antonio Conte reminded everyone what an astute general he is when his well-drilled and compact Spurs outfit left Anfield with the point at the weekend, and they might even have sneaked the win if they were more clinical late on. In terms of the betting for this game, Tottenham are the favourites at 11-10, the draw is 12-5, and the Arsenal away win is 23-10. In the reverse fixture, it was the Arsenal faithful who claimed the bragging rights, coming out with a well-earned 3-1 win back in the autumn. Three points for Arsenal on Thursday night would see them secure Champions League football on the night. A win for Spurs would make it wide open though, as there would be just one point between the sides with two games to play. There is sure to be skill and hair flying in this one, so clear the schedule listeners for Thursday evening. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, four points between Arsenal and Spurs in the race for fourth. Spurs have Arsenal on Thursday and then Burnley visiting and then they're away to Norwich. Arsenal have Spurs away, duh, and then Newcastle away and then Everton at home. Ooh, that sounds tougher. But uh, a big three points they picked up against Leeds uh, on Sunday, in the uh, kind of just post lunchtime kickoff, a remarkable start, first of all, by Leeds here. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about self inflicted wounds, I, I can't think of a worse half hour period by a team this season that hasn't already been relegated from the Premier League. Um, Man United at Brown? Yeah, although that felt like it, they, they sort of. They stretch it across ninety minutes, uh, whereas Leeds actually you know, they did gain some self-respect in the second half, albeit when it was far too late. Just some of the decision making. I mean, the defending for the goals for both of Nketiah's goals are are really poor, and and they did seem a little bit undercooked at the start of the game, which is is on that has to be on on Jesse Jesse Mars. That's how it works. But some of the individual decision making. I mean, Luke Ayling. Yes, he was frustrated. I'm sure at players around him, but it's just it's a complete nonsense tackle. And he, hmm. I mean, he was very lucky that the referee didn't send him off immediately. But as soon as the referee went to the screen, he knew. You could tell by his body language, he knew he was going to get sent off. And then almost worked. Yeah, as I say, almost worked. Very lucky, well. I think. Yeah, wow. he, should have, he should have. I mean, I will talk about the failing, failed respect campaign until I'm blue in the face. But <laughs> how you can just have players. It's like Dan Byrne did it again after being booked against, uh, against City on, on Sunday. He just... You can... You know, there are cameras on you. We can when you scream "f off" in a referee's face, we can see it. And I just wish referees would send players off for that because yeah. that's the only way it will stop. Mm. I'd never urge someone so much to get a card out for him. I was like, "Yes, make it red, make it red." <laughs> oh, um, I, I, I thought that was incensed. I mean, he also then, after receiving the yellow card, still persisted. Yeah. 
He did later come off for Rodrigo, didn't he? Um, yeah. Which I wonder if Jesse Marsh had, had taken note of that. But you cannot behave. Not when, you're in, not when you're in a relegation fight as well. Can you imagine what that would have done to have had two players sent off? The thing when is, he, he, he kind of... There's a performance of both what Ailing and he did. There's a kind of performative element into it in that your side has started the game awfully and your supporters, your away fans are clearly appalled by it and everyone watching TV is appalled by it. So you want to show that you care you have to have some common sense to show that you care in a positive way. And flying into challenges and screaming in a referee's face is, is only going to make that situation worse, which is stating the bleeding obvious, but they didn't seem to get it. Mm. Ailing out for the rest of the season with his suspension. So mm. Jamie Carragher asking, will he? Will we see him again in the, in the Premier League? Which, you know, there was a kind of ominous pause uh, after those remarks. So prior to that, uh, Melier pulling a Zach Steffen to uh, allow Hidian Ketia to... Pulling eat. a Melier. I mean, he's no stranger to this, to be fair to him. He's, I, I, I mean, I think he's a, he's a great young goalkeeper, great distribution, but he has more than got that in his locker. I think in this fixture last season, uh, when Arsenal beat Leeds 4-2, he did something similar, which led, I think led to giving a penalty away or something. Like He, you know, he likes to take risks. Hmm. All right. And Ketia, anyway, uh, with two goals here, will he play next season at Arsenal? I think so. Charlie? I think, I, I, I think, I think they want to be careful with this because it's easy to get carried away. And I think people have got a bit carried away, partly because the bar has been so lowered by Lacazette. I think a lot of people, and that sounds harsh, Lacazette, as we're legally obliged to say, does a lot of great link-up work, um, you know, half half the pitch away from the box. But I think there's been an extent to which Arsenal fans have been like, this is a striker who like runs and can move and shoots the ball at goal. And we haven't seen this for a long time. Um, so I, I think if they are to retain him, they just want to be careful that a, they're also bringing someone in and they don't go nuts with the terms. Oh, they they give absolutely, them. I mean, they need to bring someone else in. They cannot rely just on Anketia, but I think him being in in the squad and having the ability to get some first team, more regular first team action, um, will be enough for him right now, surely. But I think the thing that masks over all of this, and I, I have said it elsewhere before, is ever since Nketiah came into the team and you mentioned Lacazette being kept out, it has also meant that the captain's armband's gone to Odegaard. And I think that has been a genius move. The fact that Odegaard is giving more instructions on the pitch, you can hear him just um, organising. I, I think it's been really impressive that since he started doing captain, that... Of yeah, since he started doing that, Arsenal have played a lot, lot better and they've got more wins. So in a way, Nketiah being in the team has inadvertently helped Arsenal out as well, as well as his goals. I just think as well with him, you know, part of the issue Arsenal have, ha have had is they've saddled striker. The reason they couldn't bring in Tammy Abraham or someone last summer was because they had Lacazette and Aubameyang, who they just couldn't shift. Um, so I think they want to... Yeah, I think it's it's one they, they need to think carefully about. But for him as well, you know, he has made no secret of the fact he just wants to be playing. And I guess he needs to decide, you know, it slightly depends if Arsenal are in the Champions League, how much game time would he get? Not sure. If they're in the Europa League, then yeah, I guess he'd be playing every game in the Europa League, every game in the Carabao and coming on as a sub. But it's whether well, he wants that or wants to start somewhere. I am going to reveal that I think that Spurs are going to pip Arsenal to the top. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's going to be Europa League. I still, I still think there's a very good chance of that happening. Right, because of Thursday night? Yeah, I think if they win that, then it's then the pressure is so on Arsenal. Newcastle away is a really tough game, and Everton at home could be a tough game. 
Mm. Mm, I, I don't think it's even winning. I think if they draw the North London derby, then it's they'll, advantage Spurs. Whoa. They'll drop four points elsewhere, Lindsay. Yeah, I, yeah. I can see them. Like, look at those two games. I think Newcastle. I could easily see them losing or drawing to Newcastle. And I think they lose on the final day against Everton. Wow. Okay, this is an Arsenal side that had won four straight games uh, coming into the North London derby on Thursday, including victories over Man United and Chelsea and West Ham, and now Leeds. Daniel. Yeah, I. I... I think Tottenham need to win on Thursday, but I do think if they do, then it will cause this. Like we know this about Arsenal, that you can win 17 games in a row to kind of get hold of something. It's when you've actually got what you want in your hands and there's still time left that things start to go wrong. And if, you know, there's nothing like a North London derby for those flaws and those fears to surface we should say as well they played a wretched lead side for 10 men for the last half Mm. hour and were pretty much hanging on at the end. So... I, it was so. It was funny hearing Arteta after the game. He's kind of asked, like, you know, what do you think about the game? It, it Spurs. He said, "Oh, we're going to go there and try and win it." And I thought, I mean, fair enough. You're on message. That's that's obvious. But I do wonder if top, the kind of freedom Tottenham have of basically thinking we have to win this game hmm. almost kind of makes things a little bit easier for them. Um, yeah, I think Tottenham will win on Thursday, and I think they'll get top four. Will they? Will they do more of that defensive organisation thing? Well, this is the thing. I mean, Arsenal would be better served to look at what Brighton and what Brentford did. I mean, that's the way to frustrate Tottenham. Go sit everyone behind the ball and say, you know, funnel the ball out to Sessignon and Emerson Royale and say, go on, you know, beat us that way rather than going out and attacking them. I think that would be quite a foolish thing to do. And obviously Arteta is saying that in a, you know, he's not going to come out and say, yeah, no, we're just going to go and park the bus and try and scrape a draw. Um, but it will be really interesting. I mean, it's so strange because you're coming off a weekend where Arsenal have extended their lead from two points to four, and yet Spurs went and played brilliantly in frustrating, arguably the best team in Europe, whereas Arsenal have really nearly thrown away what would have been a catastrophic two points to drop, having been playing against a, a bad Leeds team with 10 men for an hour. Whether that... It's a hard one to know. Does how that affects you going in because they could have in theory at half an hour I'm sure Spurs fans were thinking well Arsenal are now just going to cruise this barely exert any energy before the derby obviously as it is they had a pretty stressful end to it whether that keeps them battle hardened and makes them believe more that they can win or whether there's some mental scar tissue from the fact that we bloody nearly threw this away Um, you know how are we going to be if we're you know leading or drawing with Spurs late on I mean, it's, it's the North London Derby, impossible to call. As such, we're going to be holding back Thursday's show until after they'd actually played Spurs-Arsenal. So that'll be with you Friday morning. Uh, and as a kind of sop to your withdrawal symptoms on Thursday, such as they might be, we'll be dropping the, the Charlie Daniel Intertotally Cup final on Thursday. Crikey. What a day! Just just one thing on that fixture. It's it's an incredibly um, me you. <laughs> yeah yeah. Just some stats <laughs> on uh, me versus Daniel. Right um, on Arsenal Spurs. It's a very very home weighted fixture. There hasn't been an away win for either team since 2014 when Thomas Rosicki scored for Arsenal at Spurs. So so yeah. I mean that that would suggest that um, you know Spurs will have the edge. But I guess form but goes out the window. There's also a Son Young Min who's who's trying to chase down Mo Salah's mm. golden boot. Mm. That could play into it too. Scored in this fixture last season. Mm. Mm. And at the Emirates earlier in the season. Well, 
big questions then about Thursday and the run-in for those sides, equally for Leeds, as they drop into the relegation zone for the first time since October. Now, goal difference behind Burnley. We'll be talking about the battle with the drop very shortly on the Totally Football Show. Place your bets. Welcome to Pep Roulette. Charlotte, feeling confident today, me. And your selection? Just start up front. Blue number 9 and 26. Uh, 17 as well, just behind the front two, like. Excellent. Good luck. Blue number 7. Unlucky, sir. Oh, still, and he started last week. Predicting Pep's lineups is hard, but fortunately, we've made our bet builder easy. Simply choose a top pre built bet builder, click add to bet slip, select your stake, and done. Paddy Power. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. A brilliant goal! Another big goal for Everton. Well, what a strike that is from Mikalenko. You can only applaud it. It's a wow sensation goal. A beautiful goal there, Sunday by Vitaly Mikalenko. And a beautiful description, I think, of it uh, encapsulating the way it made us all feel. Yeah, I suppose that's true. It's it's not something I've ever heard before. I checked in with uh, Adam Hurry or submitted it for his Football Clichés Adjudication Panel podcast, which Charlie Eccleshare is a very regular co-host. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's slightly jarred with me, if I'm honest. I think it's one of those <laughs> that because of my... I don't know, my inherent football watching. I think if that had been done in a foreign accent or an American accent, mm. I think it would have sounded really weird. But because it's done it in an English accent... sounded pretty weird in an English Yeah, fine. I'm, yeah, I'm skirting then, around the fact that it definitely sounded weird. That, that is the, you know, that's the kind of the curse of neologism or neologism, yeah. or however <laughs> you're supposed to say that. Um, but in a year's time, we'll all be saying that. Imagine how weird everyone thought uh, uh, Andy Townsend saying in and around was the first True. time. And now I can't, you know, brush my teeth with that. <laughs> In and around the gums. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. The goal was for Everton, as they roared back out of the bottom three with an actual win on the road at Leicester. They are now 16th in the Premier League, two places above the drop, only one point ahead of Burnley and Leeds, but with a game in hand still. Meantime, this weekend, defeat at Crystal Palace means that Watford are down, uh, joining Norwich in the Championship. All right, but Everton winning... Uh, against Leicester, how? Was there by any chance a set-piece involved here? Of course there was a set-piece involved. There was a, I mean, it was a slightly different riff on the theme in that it was a, a second ball rather than the initial header that went in. Um, I, I did a piece for the for the for my section on Leicester for the score this weekend about Kasper Schmeichel, so I was just watching some of those set-piece goals. And, Look, Leicester should win more headers and Leicester should mark better and they are two big factors. But Schmeichel also has this tendency where he comes about four yards off his line for a corner and wherever the corner is directed, even if it's only directed six yards from his goal, he then drops back towards his own goal line. And you look at, I mean, the Abraham goal on Thursday is a perfect example. Schmeichel's four yards out, 
drops back to his line and Abraham scores from about four and a half yards. I just I wonder if him staying back rather than being kind of more proactive in coming for crosses is is mm. also not helping Leicester, which Schmeichel to me seems a personality who would really want to come and claim crosses, want to be kind of like Jordan Pickford, like be really active. And yet he he isn't in this. He drops back and the the goal yesterday, he when he dives, his feet are over his own goal line. He's dropped so far deep, which means all he can do is really parry it a yard out and Mason Holgate scores a second goal. Mm. It's also at odds with how proactive he is when it comes to complaining about goals, <laughs> where, he, where he's absolutely unrivaled. I mean, it's pretty much every goal he'll find something to leg it out of his goal to berate the referee for. Him and Pickford, I think, are, are sort of on equal measures when it comes to that. John Pickford with less to complain about here. Uh, more of a kind of cheeky grin kind of afternoon and uh, much for the travelling fans to celebrate who indeed post the uh, final whistle were singing Frank Lampard's name. Is it time to give Frank some credit and uh, salute the job that he's doing? Where where are we on this? I mean, they've, they've been, I think they have been quite, for I say, fortunate. Jordan Pickford has has been brilliant. I think he's been their best player in each of the the four positive results, the the three wins and the draw against Leicester. Um and they've also given up a very high quality, you know, high quality chances that opponents haven't taken either because of Pickford or because they've missed him and I'm thinking of for example Harvey Barnes's header yesterday from from really close range. Mm. But we have to put into context that Everton were an absolute mess before and they aren't as much of a mess now. I, I don't know how much is, is on Lampard on how much is in terms of tactical stuff and how much is just him, you know, reinforcing to the players that they really don't want to be playing championship football next season. Um, there shouldn't need to be any extra motivation for that. But if you were, yeah, if you were to ask me now, which of the three sides is more likely to go down, Everton, Burnley or, or Leeds, I'd say Everton are the least likely. The running is Watford away. For Everton, Kaching, Brentford at home, then Crystal Palace at home, then Arsenal away because they've got that game in hand. The other two that you mention, Burnley, they're away to Spurs, then away to Villa, then home to Newcastle. Ooh, uh, and Leeds, Chelsea at home, Brighton at home, Brentford away. I'm going to throw in another team here, and that team's called Southampton. They have only two matches left: a Liverpool, then at Leicester. They're six points clear. I just right I said at Leicester. Hmm, probably some points there. But they are six points clear. They have played a game more. Lindsay, you saw them at Brentford this weekend and they are looking like they might not pick up another point before the end of this season. They were shocking in this game and the away contingent made their feelings known. Aimed towards Ralph Hasenhutl. You don't know what you're doing is what they started singing and then you're getting sacked in the morning. I think if you start losing your away support, and we all know, don't we, in football, that your away support are the the hardened fans that come through all the fixtures with you. As soon as you start to lose those, um, I think it spells, spells imminent danger, to be honest, for Southampton. So you're right to be alarmed about them. I mean, Ralph Hasenhutl in the post-match interview with me for Sky said that he, he he didn't get affected by it because his English isn't that good. He couldn't hear <laughs> the songs, which I thought was great acting because he then he, he then he also gave that line to another of our media colleagues as well. And I thought you've definitely heard it by now because I've made you aware of it. Um, so he tried to dodge that as, as well as he can. But the players as well. I mean, the defending for some of these Brentford goals was woeful, really woeful. And 
I, I just thought that they, they actually put up the white flag at 2-0. When they had those two quick goals, it was like, right, that's it. We're, we're out of this game, which is not what you want to see uh, this late on. Mm. I feel a bit for Ralph Hasenhutl. I mean, he, he, he isn't doing a, a brilliant, or Southampton don't look very good at the moment and they are in slight free fall. But you look at what's happened at the club since he took charge. They've had new owners who come in and said, well, we just want it to be run the same way it was always run. He's lost Danny Ings and replaced him with Adam Armstrong, which I think is a downgrade. He's lost Ryan Birch and replaced him with Romain Perot, which I think is a downgrade. He's lost Janik Vestergaard and replaced him with Lianco, which I think is a downgrade. And he's lost Pierre-Emil Hoberg and replaced him with Ibrahima Diallo, which is certainly a downgrade. Like he's, a, he's got a negative net spend and I think it's hard. You, know, you look at that Southampton team, like James Ward-Prowse aside, I don't think it's very good. You know, I don't think it's good enough to to be finishing more than higher than 16th or 17th in the Premier League. Well, Stuart Armstrong as well is one that you can add into that mix, who I always used to be so impressed with him. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's a patience running thin with him as well. Like some of the players that they used to always turn to aren't delivering. Like you say, I think James Ward-Prowse is probably the exception. And if he gets nabbed this summer, whether they just about survive this season, I would be thinking that they are a team that you'd be concerned about next season. Yeah, massively. I mean, their wingers are Armstrong and Nathan Redmond, who are both players you think, oh, they could, they're kind of match of the day players. And you see them do something about three times a season on match of the day and think, oh, they're good players. And then Southampton fans will tell you, yeah, they don't really do much for the rest of the time. And if they lose, obviously, Livermento's out for the rest of the year. Brogia's loan will end. If they lose James Ward-Prowse in the summer, they are in huge trouble, I think. Well, they don't play. They've had one win in their last 11. They don't play until Tuesday week when they will be facing uh, Liverpool at home. That's on the 17th of May. Before that happens, though, uh, Leeds will have played twice uh, at home to Brighton and the game against Chelsea, who appear to have their minds elsewhere. So Leeds could well be level with them by the time they take the field against against uh, Liverpool Saints. Uh, Burnley will also play once, so that's a way at Spurs, so a slightly more arduous task. But, uh, I mean, it would be a stretch, but you've seen weirder things happening than that. Uh, who do you fancy to go down, Charlie? <sighs> it's a really difficult one. I mean, I think it'll be between Burnley and Leeds. And out of those two, I think maybe Leeds will just survive. Mm. Bernie might have had their resur- mini resurgence, or not even mini, actual resurgence. Um, but I think it will probably be them. OK, well, Everton, Watford away, Brentford at home, Palace at home, Arsenal away, as I mentioned. Burnley have Spurs away, Villa away, Newcastle at home. And Leeds have Chelsea at home, Brighton at home, Brentford away. That's enough listing fixtures let's mention Watford who are now down relegated courtesy of Wilfred Zaha's first half penalty that must have tasted ever so sweet to Zaha you know against Harry the Hornet and that that and his former manager and his former manager who was Hodgson the least bothered relegated manager of all time (laughs) yes I mean even even in the pre-match build-up at the press conference uh he he did not want to put any fight, did he, to say, like, there's a possibility. It's not mathematically done. He said, we'd be absolutely fooling ourselves if we thought that we were going to stay <laughs> I do really like, motivation. Yeah, I do really like... I mean, he just breaks all the rules and doesn't seem to really care. And also, if you go to Watford, you know you're, you're not lasting long. You're getting sacked anyway. You may as well enjoy it and be honest. If you were a Watford fan, though, would you not feel slightly as if the guy just turned up, picked up a check and I was, you know, 
ready for whatever. You you would think, <laughs> yeah. but they actually gave him a round of applause, didn't they? Didn't they give him like quite yeah, a reception? Yeah, but he didn't bother going to kind of. I think they invited him over for a kind of Lampard esque salute, uh, but he failed to respond because he said, unfortunately, they were a bit too far away. <laughs> well, he's <laughs> getting on a bit. Amazing. That's fair enough. I mean, I think, yes, it would have been nice. I think they appointed badly in Hodgson, who was a manager who was clearly kind of coasting a little bit towards the end of his career. But On it the was beach, interesting... in a sort of broader sense. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, It was interesting to hear Ben Foster after the game basically call out, I mean, this is what Ben Foster does, we should say, but kind of call out teammates for not caring enough. It, it does feel like this relegation more than any other for Watford is... Um, raising questions with supporters and maybe even some of the players about this model of just this kind of huge turnaround of players and managers and the culture that that can threaten to create in terms of maybe players aren't as emotionally invested in staying up. Hodgson said before the game that, you know, we send them messages, but quite often they fall on deaf ears, which is not a great, it's not, it doesn't sound like a great culture at the club. Yeah, I mean, obviously I far bit for me to tell Watford fans how to feel but I imagine some of them are more angry at that model that creates a system where you're bringing in managers who know that they're so dispensable who know that they're not going to last long at all that it's perhaps not surprising that they that some of them that you appoint are going to have an approach maybe not as extreme as Hodgson's but deep down they're probably a lot of them probably are fairly resigned to their fate and the team's fate. Mm. And to make matters even worse for Hornets fans, it must be adding further salt into the wounds, is how well Luton have been doing in the Championship, making the playoffs on the final day. They've now got their uh, two games against Huddersfield. And when you look at what story that would be, it would be fairy tale like for Luton to be able to get into the Premier League whilst they've been relegated. That must be real stinker for them. Crikey. All right, well, uh, before we move on from the relegation battle... Uh, we should salute Aston Villa, who went to Burnley, have been so strong of late at Turf Moor, and came away with a 3-1 win. Daniel, you've got an explanation for what suddenly brought Villa back to life. Well, I mean, it's a very small sample size, but this was the first time that uh, Philip Xenia has been dropped by Steven Gerrard, left on the bench. And also the first time, not the first time that Buendia has started since since Coutinho joined, but the first time since Buendia has started without Coutinho since the Brazilian joined. And he was the game's best player by an absolute mile. He he scored one, he created one, he, he got the kind of second assist, played the pass before the pass for the third. And Villa fans have been saying this for a few weeks, not that Coutinho is a, a bad player or was even a bad signing, but Brandir is their club record signing and, and pretty much plays a similar role to Coutinho. And it's quite hard to define he he drifts out left is he a central midfielder is he a 10 is he a, a kind of wide left midfielder and it was pretty clear they couldn't fit in the same team together and if Coutinho isn't going to stay and there's no guarantee that he is and there's no guarantee that Villa will pay the money and pay the wages over a longer period I, I don't get why you wouldn't stick with the 40 million pound signing who, who's looked pretty good when there wasn't really anything on the season at that point anyway Gerard had done enough that they were never going to get go down so yeah, I, I'm really pleased with Buendia because he's got a lot of support amongst Villa fans for the way he's kind of been nudged aside by a loan signing over the last few months. I, I wonder what there might be in Steven Gerrard's past that would lead him to try and force two <laughs> midfielders into the same team <laughs> that clearly good. can't play together. But as for Burnley, not only losing the match, but also losing James Tarkovsky oh, 
who that's went off huge. with a hamstring injury. That's huge, yeah. Lindsay. I think that's I think that's really key in this relegation fight. He's been one of their best players. I mean, the, the couple of times I've seen them in recent weeks, Tarkovsky, I think he was playing even with an injury at one point. Um, I don't know whether he's having injections like some of them do, but I, I knew that he had an injury that he was nursing at the same time as playing. And you could just tell when, when you talk about Watford and that comparison and wanting players that are there that have got an affiliation with the club that, that are doing everything in their power to keep them in the Premier League. He summed it up for me. Um, so without him, I think that could be a big miss. And Ben Mee as well, who, of course, has been having a role with Mike Jackson in, in the coaching setup. But to miss two characters like that out on the pitch, I, I think might be a bit too much for them. Mm. Spurs away, Villa away, Newcastle at home. Mm. Next up, more from the Premier League and the reason why Lindsay's so hungover. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Press high. Four steps into a mistake. And that's Sam Kerr with the stunner as Chelsea wrapped up the third straight title on the final day of the WSL season. Lindsay, you were there at Kings Meadow to witness that and the other incredible volley from Sam Kerr in a match that looked like it was going in a very different direction. Well, this is what we want on a final day in any title race. We want it to swap around. We want the drama. It had swapped about three or four times, actually, where Chelsea were top of the league. They went behind to Man United. That gave Arsenal a way in. Um, and also goal difference, which is something that Jonas Eideval, the Arsenal manager, had spoken about right from the beginning of the season, started to come into play. And at one point I was thinking, oh, my word, having said that right at the beginning of the season, is, is he going to now do this on goal difference? Um, they did get an equaliser, Erin Cuthbert, who's been so reliable for Chelsea. Um, it was as if she just shook off everyone and just thought, look, if you're not going to get a goal, I will from that long throw. And it, it was a brilliant finish. Then you saw Manchester United take the lead again. And so they go in 2-1 down at half time. And there's Arsenal sat pretty at the top of the table again. They start winning as well in their game at West Ham. Uh, and all you can say about that second half performance from Chelsea is that it wasn't unusual. We've seen this before. We've seen how on final days of the season as well, um, I'd, I'd given out this stat to Emma Hayes pre-match um, that they hadn't lost 
um, any of the last six. In fact, they'd won on the final day by at least a two-goal margin in the in wow. the last six occasions. And they did it again. This was another two-goal margin by, by the time they'd finished. But it it was definitely down to the introduction of Xi. I think we have to put a lot of credit there. This is a player that's leaving Chelsea after eight years, but she came on um, in the second half and she was fantastic. Everything went through her. Some of her passing was was just absolutely sublime. And Sam Kerr with her finishing. I, I mean, mm. I don't know which goal to bleat on about more because... The first one was on her left foot and the quick feet she needed to get in position to be able to finish that. She'd already tried to tee up Erin Cuthbert and then the ball rebounded. She had hardly any time at all to, to get a really good shot away with her left foot for that one. So that, that was really impressive. But then you look at the finish for, for her second and she had that cheeky look to see that Mary Earps was off her line, the goalkeeper. She's then not facing to goal. She does that control a little bit similar, if anyone remembers James Rodriguez for Colombia in the Brazil World yeah. Cup. It was a very similar sort of style, although she didn't have, she wasn't as closely defended, I don't think, as, as James Rodriguez was. But she did that turn and, and shot. And, and we were all just left speechless. The fact that this was happening on the final day. Two wow sensation goals, I, I would Wow think. sensations mm-hmm. of, of the highest order. She, I love the comment afterwards. She said she'd visualised the goal and and told her teammates that that's what she was going to do. I mean that that second one is is extraordinary because what is one of those goals that when you watch it on replay you kind of think well of course that's what she did it was the easiest way to score the keeper was slightly out so she needed to put loft on it but to do that in half a second of thinking and the kind of you know people is a kind of buzzword of football now scanning where you know players constantly looking around to work out their their next best move the vision to to know exactly what she was doing in that moment is extraordinary because with that hammers goal there was kind of one option whereas for Sam Kerr in that moment there were plenty of things she could have done she could have just looked to link play she could have brought the ball down and driven towards goal to take it on first time is it was a brilliant brilliant goal Mm. and Chelsea can make it a domestic double uh, next Sunday, they're in the FA Cup final against, oh, Man City. Mm. That's at Wembley. Man City, yeah. you take one of the other two Champions League places along with Arsenal. I don't know whether I'm going in for, for Man City for this FA Cup final, actually, just in the form that they've been in towards the end of the season. They are scoring so many goals. Bunny Shaw's been fantastic. Ellen White scored again yesterday. And I think that Chelsea are going to have a much tougher match and, and this one was tough yesterday. To win the title, it was really tough. But I think they're going to have a tougher challenge against City, who have, for 2022, for this year, probably been the best team, actually. It's just that you you look at their awful, woeful start to the season, and that's ultimately what let them down when it came to the title run-in. Um, Chelsea's home form's incredible. So I think, as well, when you take the fact that this is at Wembley, they haven't got that King's Meadow feel it's definitely more of a level playing field. For anyone thinking, you know, Chelsea have won the title, they're going to go and win this as well. I would warn against that. I, I don't think you should underestimate Manchester City right now. Mm. Speaking of in the Cups, meanwhile, you you and the rest of the uh, WSL production team went out and celebrated uh, <laughs> Sunday night. We did, which been, is why I'm a little bit hoarse. But it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing success on Sky. It's been it's been really well received. Um, I think a lot of people are appreciating the treatment that it's had, the amount of camera angles that we get to to get replays, um, the analysis that's been introduced. I think also the the amount of 
pre and post match build up that we're allowed. I mean, sometimes it depends on the scheduling. Sometimes we can only get 15 minutes build up, but where we can, we've tried to give it the, the full bells and whistles. Um, lots of features as well that have gone into it. Inside the WSL, which is a show on Sky Sports News, has covered so many different topics this year that I think if you're a fan of the women's game, you cannot for a second say that you haven't got more from Sky Sports being on board. Um, and yeah, we're really proud of what we've delivered in the first season. What I would love is to take that on. And it's about keeping on pushing, isn't it? We, we saw a little bit of the glimpses of insight. You know, they mic'd up a referee for a for a one-off occasion. I don't know whether they could get that to, to run. I mean, it, it, it's got so many factors with it, but I think they're looking at other areas um, and other things that they can introduce. So it's exciting. It's exciting that we're only one year into a three-year contract and, and where can the game go, especially with the Women's Euros this summer? Mm. Excellent, Lindsay. All right, well, uh, Totally Football League show is out today, Monday, with Matt Davis-Adams. What are they going to be talking about there? Wickham? No doubt. We've bested MK Dons. Going to be in the League One promotion final. Bristol Rovers, by any chance? <laughs> Ooh, they'll be talking about that. Incredible scenes. Tell us, Lindsay. Final oh. day in League Two. Yeah, they need a goal swing. They have to score seven. And everyone's thinking this is never going to happen. It's the <laughs> final day. And you're swinging between... If, if ever you do that, I'm usually part of that show whereby you're giving the updates from a game and trying to keep across others. But when you get to be that fan at home that's watching all the updates from different grounds, I couldn't believe how many times they were saying, it's goal, <laughs> goal to Bristol <laughs> Rovers, not another one. There was a part of me that didn't want this for Joey Barton. I'm going to hold my hands up. I didn't want him to do this. I wanted Bristol Rovers to do it. It was a great story for them, but I'm not the biggest fan of his. There's also, I mean, this is very boring, slightly tedious thing to say, I'm sure, but the fact that Scunthorpe were already relegated and basically picked a pretty much a youth team. They kind of had, uh, you know, an, uh, I think a final year academy graduate in midfield. So they had 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds in midfield and basically just ran out of legs after about, an hour and conceded four goals in that time. If I'm Northampton, I'm, I mean, it's just the, the vagaries of the fixture schedule, but I'm absolutely fuming mm. that Scunthorpe didn't pick a full team when there was promotion on it. Can you imagine, yeah, if this had happened in the, the Premier League? Or, there was that time, wasn't there, where Rafa Benitez played a complete reserve team ahead of a Champions League final, which I think Fulham won and helped them stay up or something like that. And Sheffield would, United. We would, ne- we would never there. hear the end of it if it happened in the Premier yeah. League. Well, Joey Barton taking Bristol Rovers into League One and Northampton into the playoffs. Hey, speaking of playoffs, Forest now know who they've got in their battle for promotion. Daniel, Sheffield United. That, that doesn't bring up yeah, that doesn't bring up any old emotional scars, so that should be fine. What emotional scars? So I mean Forest are, are famous in that they have they have never won a playoff semi-final and their first one of those was against Sheffield United and uh, I was at both legs and Forrest drew the home leg 1-1 went 2-0 up in the away leg uh, and then managed to lose it with a, an own goal from Des Walker in injury time which was there that in itself a rerun of the 1991 FA Cup final and he did the same thing so I, I'm sort of desperately telling myself that I'd rather lose to Sheffield United in the semi-finals than at Wembley which is an incredibly pessimistic way of looking at it, but it's I was all say, about... That's not the narrative you want running around your head. You need to be more Sam Kerr and visualisation, you know? Yeah, the thing is, is that Sam Kerr can do something about it, and I can't. <laughs> um, all I can do is desperately hope other people do. So, mm. yeah, it'll be what it'll be, but I'm, 
if you expect the worst, everything else is a nice surprise. Yeah, or not always, but when <laughs> no. when is the first game? Uh, so the, the first playoffs semi is Friday night. Forest is Saturday. So they're Friday, Saturday, uh, Monday, Tuesday. Right, okay. Well, uh, all the information you need in the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. In the Premier League, meantime, there are three matches that we haven't really touched on yet. Although we have a bit, Chelsea-Wolves... A mixed day for Chelsea as they drop points against Wolves after being two goals up. But it looks like their ownership issue, which sounded so dramatic in Thursday's show, might now be almost resolved with Todd Burley apparently agreeing terms with the club on a £4.25 billion sale. Also this weekend, Brighton beating Man United 4-0. Brighton having their best ever Premier League season, Man United having their worst ever Premier League season and West Ham with the same scoreline 4-0 at Norwich hmm what do you want to talk about it's there? amazing that we're so inured to these Man United collapses that that's featuring solo down on the running order I mean it was it, it, I was going to use the word extraordinary I guess it isn't extraordinary and that's kind of the point but it's just staggering that a team can be so mismanaged from top to bottom I mean with the monumental advantages they have. I mean, this is a team that finished second last season and then bought Ronaldo, Varane and Sancho in the transfer window. <laughs> how, how is this possible? Like, it's almost like an experiment. It's like one of those things when you ask your friend, like, how do you think United would do if I manage them for a season? You know, you, <laughs> how bad could they actually do? I mean, we're sort of... it's We're kind of witnessing this bizarre... I don't even know what it is, but it's, um, it is quite incredible just how badly they're doing. Hmm. I mean, partly it's Brighton, partly a Brighton team who in recent weeks have won at Spurs, have won at Arsenal. Sure, hadn't won at home since Boxing Day, I think. It's not as if, you know, Fortress Amex that United (laughs) (laughs) just couldn't possibly breach. Um, You know, this is is a team that a few weeks ago their fans were screaming shoot at them as they played out a (laughs) nil-nil draw with Norwich. The... um, (laughs) The Bermuda Triangle that is Manchester United's central defence is is also something to behold. I mean, Maguire is clearly coming for an awful lot of stick and has moved out of the team. And things, to all intents and purposes, have, have certainly got no better. And on Saturday, looked like they've got quite a lot worse. I mean, Rafa Varane was a, an elite central defender two years ago. I think he was at fault for at least three of the goals. He, he either turns his back on a player or he kind of... The fourth goal with Welbeck, where he just... He kind of tries to step out and chase the ball, and the ball is then just played for Welbeck, who's standing behind him. It was it was an amateur hour that defending. I t- I don't know. I've said it before when when Solskjaer was there, and I'm saying it again. It's kind of heartening as a football fan that this happens. That you can have, you can do exactly what Charlie says: have those players and buy those extra players, and still be this bad if you're not coached well or that the culture's not right because sort of presents this idea that despite all the financial inequality, there is some degree of meritocracy of coaching, at least, if not the collection and collation of players. Mm. Um, There's room for complete ineptitude. Yeah. Oh, you know. Yes. And, and how many times have we heard on the grapevine, even when it's been, you know, huge success in football, that, oh, well, the dressing room was sort of running it themselves. It gives us that belief that the head coach role is important. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. important. United have now conceded more goals than any season since 1977-78. Incredible. Brighton, meanwhile, scoring a full quarter of all the home goals they've had this season in this one match. 
Give a bit of love to Brighton, though. Someone, yeah. Moises Casado, uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, much fun was he? he's been yeah. one of the players of the season, I think. And his celebration as well, that was just pure emotion. Like, I think people thought, is there a backstory here? But by all accounts, he was just so overwhelmed with emotion at scoring, scoring that goal. And yeah, I mean, they, we've all, you know, when when this team clicks and potable really um, functions at its highest. They're, they're an amazing team to watch. And you do constantly just wonder with Brighton how good would they be if they had a striker. Um, because their approach play is just sensational. I mean, that goal where McAllister almost made it five, there was a last-ditch tackle where they'd just been passing it between themselves as if they were playing Power League or something. It was it was unbelievable. So, yeah, and, and what, you know, an amazing run they've been on from... You know, they, they were one of those teams, I think people, a bit like how we're talking about Southampton now, a few weeks ago, saying like, oh, you know, Brighton, are they sort of sleepwalking towards a relegation battle? And then they went and beat Arsenal away, Spurs away, and now won this game. Um, and yeah, finishing the season really, really strongly. The problem being Manchester United as well is that no one's ever going to go easy on you. They're always going to think, mm. Mm, yeah, this is Man United. It doesn't matter how poor they get towards the end of the season. People are just going to think, yeah, let's try and get as many goals as we can. My favourite moment of the game was, because it never normally happens, in that Brighton go 3-0 up and then the fans start olaying, which <laughs> normally just ends with like a ooh when they mm. give away possession. But it actually ended with a goal. They olayed, they olayed, they olayed, and then there was a goal. And that must be one of the best moments to be a football fan. <laughs> Funny enough, we spoke about this on Football Cliches, yeah, how, rare, on how rare that is. And someone came up with an example from 2010 as being we thought the last recorded time that this happened. So history was made on the weekend. There you oh, go. Magnificent afternoon for the home side. Uh, elsewhere, less so for Norwich as they got beaten 4-0 by West Ham as the Hammers bounced back from that Europa League semi-final defeat against Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt will be taking on Rangers in Seville in the Europa League final. Very, very shortly, we'll hear from a man who was there at Rangers' extraordinary win over RB Leipzig in the semi-final second leg Thursday night. You were at the West Ham game with Eintracht Frankfurt, Daniel. Yeah, I was at the Deutsche Bank. It was, I mean, it was an incredible atmosphere. It really was. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that the Frankfurt fans kind of did something special for that game. It's not always like that necessarily, but it was it was astonishing. I mean, the, the stands were full from an hour before kickoff. There was an you know there was no light show. There was no forced fun. It was all just kind of pure pure raw drama. And the game, I mean, the game was spoiled a bit by the red card and and quick goal, but that just meant that basically Eintracht Frankfurt fans took their chance to do an hour of sort of partying in the stands and it was yeah it was one of the best atmospheres I've been to I think mm. oh, the, the atmosphere pretty special as well in Glasgow for the uh, the visit of Leipzig uh, so next up then let's dial up Jordan Campbell alright listen what a time to be a Scottish football fan national team potentially off to the World Cup potentially two teams in the group stages of the Champions League next season as well what with Celtic about to tie up the title and Rangers in the Europa League final after overcoming Leipzig in an unforgettable night at Ibrox on Thursday. Jordan Campbell was there. Jordan, what what what, what a night. Grown men crying all around you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Grown men, women, children, um, pets if they were there, I'm not sure. But they were uh, it was oh it was you know, I think it's safe to say probably the best night Ibrox has seen in 
in 50 years. Um, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Because, um, I mean, even when Rangers got to the UEFA Cup final in 2008, you know, it was a very sort of, let's say, attritional um, style of football. It was nil-nil after nil-nil after nil-nil, and it was tense, and it was just a bit grinding it out. Whereas the last four rounds have just been, like, every single game has been a classic. Um, every leg, really, has been a mm. classic. Um, and, you know, it's it's quite amazing to see Rangers go toe-to-toe with, with Dortmund, um, Red Star, Braga, and now Leipzig. Um, and I think... The, the thing that sums up this Rangers team and the feeling about them is that most people, I think, were going to Ibrooks believing they could turn it around against a team with the budget of, of Leipzig, which shouldn't really be a thing, but I think the power of Ibrooks has, has really installed that belief um, in the players that they can they can take on anyone. Um, and speaking to the players after the game in, in the mix zone, like, they were all saying like even the Leipzig players came up to them and said, like, they've never experienced anything like that. Yeah, for Rangers to be in a European final, it's um, it's pretty surreal given given where they were 10 years ago, but um, no, it's, it's remarkable, yeah. Yeah, even where they were at the start of, of this campaign. What was it, one win from the first six European matches? Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the group stage had become almost like a chore for this team because obviously the, the hope was this year that they would take the next step to the Champions League. So when... When they lost to Malmo, it was a bit... You just felt that the players had lost the excitement for the competition. After four seasons, it probably... It's not quite as um, as exciting going to Bromby or going to Sparta Prague. So after two games, I think a lot of people like were probably a bit of the opinion that, well, if going out of the group stage allows us to concentrate on domestic competition, then so be it. But um, I think they'll be glad that they, uh, they managed to turn it around. Um, but I mean, Van Bronco's first game was against... Sparta, um, which managed to qualify them through, but I think everyone then expected, you know, with the new format and the the playoff game to get into the knockouts, everyone thought, well, if you're going to play a team drop for the Champions League, you're essentially um, done before it's even started, and then you draw the tournament favourites, and you think, well, at least Dortmund will be a nice jolly, but um, yeah, they've uh, ever since they've beaten them, I think everyone's gone, well, if you can beat Dortmund, then you can probably beat most teams in the tournament, so. That was the most amazing thing I thought about Thursday night was the fact that in the first half, Rangers really went after Leipzig and pressed them really high up. And they just went three for three at the back. It was They went three versus three and literally the amount of times Goldson was defending Paulson in the halfway line just himself was... Um, I think it just showed the bravery. Um, the three at the back worked, worked perfectly in Thursday. Um, it would be interesting to know whether it goes with that in the final because Frankfurt mm. obviously played the same sort of shape as well. Yeah, a week on Wednesday in Seville, we'll get a Christoph Beerman's thoughts about Eintracht Frankfurt and all of that in our Euro show, which will be uh, out late Monday, early Tuesday. But Jordan, a quick word, uh, Giovanni von Bronco is coming in for uh, Stephen Gerrard. The, the one area that that's not been quite so successful, and maybe with European success, nobody's as bothered, but there were four points clear when he did come in for Stevie G. And instead, it's now Celtic six points clear, and I mean all but all but crowned champions. Is that the merit of Andrzej Postecoglou, or, or or what? I mean, I think it's a bit of both. You know, Celtic are unbeaten in thirty games, so you know <laughs> they, they they've won the title rather than Rangers have completely lost it themselves. But you know, when Van Bronckhorst came in, he had seven wins at a seven, barely conceded a goal, and um, you know, I think he's a. Uh, his sort of pragmatism looked like it was going to really suit 
the Scottish game. Maybe I think people's concerns were how would it translate to Europe, but it's actually as the longer it's gone on, it's been the opposite way around. Um, so you know, after the winter break, which is something that's become a bit of a, become a bit of a theme with this Rangers team in the last three four years. Um, you know, they they dropped so many points, um, and you know, there's a twelve point swing within literally forty six weeks, which ended in the the three 0 defeat at Celtic Park, which was a bit of a sham, was a performance, but that's actually, I think, I think been the catalyst for these European performances because he seems to have settled on a different, on a way of playing after that. Because I think he tried to go there and sit deep, and I think I don't know whether he doesn't coach that as well or whether the players don't feel as suited to it. But after that, it's been a pretty consistent um, style and approach to even European games, which is to be a bit more high energy and really. Um, and really go for teams and people that join Lundstrom coming into the team, Ryan Jack, just the energy that they bring um, has really helped that. But yeah, domestically, it's, it's it's not, you know, for Rangers to lose the league from where they were at the start of the season and the, the, the power balance that they had, you know, Celtic had to completely rebuild their squad. Um, they lost Ayer, they lost Christie, they lost Edward. I mean, they've reinvested a lot of that money, but, um, you know, Rangers had the continuity there. They had a, a team who had just got over the line for the first time, and it, it looked very early on that it was going to be a gimme, maybe a, a, a rebuilding season for Celtic to maybe have a proper go next year. But no, I think Celtic have got stronger and stronger. Um, they've got a clear style of play that Postacoglu has done really well to implement. Um, and I think Rangers have dropped really silly points at times where they've dominated games, and it's it's, it's been a sort of the problems have mirrored. A couple of years ago when Gerard's team sort of collapsed after the break, well, it seems that they miss every chance and the two chances the opposition get both go in. So, um, you know, drop points at Aberdeen for a leading position, dropped points at home to Motherwell for a leading position. You know, there's so many that you could go through that they'll probably come to rue. But, um, yeah, the fact that on, that yesterday at Ibrox, the, the, they walked out to a stand innovation the day after Celtic basically won the league is a, a very uncommon thing. But um, I think that's people appreciate how big Thursday night was and what's the scale of the achievement that this is for this team. So mm. I think they can overlook it. <laughs> All right, indeed. Jordan, uh, magnificent. Uh, we'll catch up with you, I hope, before the big game in Seville. But for now, many, many thanks. All right, I'll speak to you then. All right, Jordan Campbell. So with that, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. Midweek action galore, including Thursday night Spurs, Arsenal, which means we'll be doing our regular Thursday show on the Friday. But on the Thursday, you can hear the inter-totally final. Charlie, you ready? Daniel, are you ready? As will ever be, I'm sure. Mm. Both looking sick with tension, listener. White with nerves. All right. Well, you can hear how it plays out on Thursday. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to the pair of you, to Lindsay Hooper, to producer Charlie, and to you, listener. Do join us for our other shows during the week. Back Thursday from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
The Athletic.